from St. Louis Public Radio. This is St. Louis on the Air. You want to do something, you want to give them a break, because that's what it feels like you should be doing. But it does feel like sort of a big band-aid, or sort of like, just like, here's a day, and like, you know, go play with puppies and see if you get better. I don't have that training, but I try to point them to the student health center. But what I'm hearing uh, is that just to see a counselor could take six to eight weeks. I'm Sarah Fenske. We're now 20 months into this pandemic. As it drags on, you may have adjusted to a new normal, but some college students have not. The suicides of two St. Louis University students in September offer a stark reminder of what some teens and 20-somethings are going through and how critical it is that they get the support they need. That's something Dr. Jessie Gold knows well. She's a psychiatrist at Washington University with many clients in the 18 to 30-year-old age range, and she joins us today. Dr. Gold, welcome back. Thanks for having me. So I do want to offer a quick heads up about this conversation. We will be talking about some serious issues that include suicide. And if you or someone you know is in a crisis situation, we want to encourage you to call the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline. That's one 800 273 8255. Again, that number is 1-800-273-8255. So, Dr. Jesse Gold, that brings us to you. you got to grapple with these serious issues all the time. How are your college-age clients doing these days? Yeah, it's a good question. I mean, I think the pandemic has been particularly hard on that age group, and I don't think people talk about it enough. I think if you look at the data, even from like 2020, early 2020, they were the age group most affected in terms of starting substances, suicidal thoughts, post-traumatic stress kind of related to the pandemic. And that was already early 2020, just having kind of started the pandemic. And it's kind, it's just gotten worse from then. And in clinic, you know, I think you see a lot of anxiety, a lot of depression, a lot of loneliness. I think that's probably the highlight would be the loneliness feeling. So I got to ask, I mean, you know, we knew even pretty early on in the pandemic that health-wise, these kids were least likely to have some of the terrible outcomes we saw from seniors. And for, you know, once you get past 50, 60 years old, things start getting a little more dangerous with this disease. So you might think these, these kids will be sitting pretty. Not at all. Yeah, I mean, I think that they also feel the world a lot more than some other age groups. I think even if you are an older person and you think back to when you were in college, you were much more on the advocacy spectrum of the world, kind of going, I see what's going on and I care. And they care and they care very deeply. So sort of everything going on in the world impacts their mental health. And then they've had a lot of changes to what college looks like. Are they going back in person? Are they not going back in person? Are they doing hybrid classes? What do classes even look like? And they have a lot of expectations for what college should look like anyway. And then what it looks like has not at all been what they expected, particularly for that age group that didn't really get a senior year and then didn't have a freshman year. And so orientation is different and socializing is different and identity development is different. So it's a it's a lot of changes, honestly. Yeah, I mean, I remember like being in high school and just always looking forward to like college. That was when life was going to begin. And, you know, this was going to be the best time. And like, I'll be honest, it totally was the best time. Like, it was amazing. And I feel like they probably have had to miss out on a lot of things we took for granted just, 
you know, being in, in very tight spaces, sweating and, and drinking too much with totally random people and not having to worry about germs. Yeah, and I think a lot of that got canceled. I think I've had for patients kind of be like, I'm fine sometimes, but I'm kind of sick of the same people. Some of the beauty of college is that you walk down the street, you might not be best friends with everyone, but you have this sort of community feel. And I think a lot of my patients have brought up that they love their best friends, but it'd be nice to see those people that they liked waving to and acknowledging that they knew them. They knew them from something. They have this like greater social circle. And so it gets isolating to only see the same people over and over or your computer or your family, depending on if you're home. I mean, that does sound depressing. So the situation that we're in right now, I mean, this is a group that can get vaccinated and hopefully most of them have. Is this something where college campuses are encouraging people to do the kind of normal in-person get-togethers again? Or is it still people are cautious about that? I think that there may be still somewhat cautious, but not as cautious. There's a lot more vaccination. There's a lot of just masking in person. Classes are more in person in most places. And I think that's been really nice for people. But I think that the the whole year and what has actually happened made a significant impact in a way that maybe we didn't get to talk about out loud enough and that we aren't acknowledging out loud enough. So just kind of pretending like everything's fine and going on and being like, well, now we're back to normal isn't that easy for anyone, let alone that age group. And so some of them still feel kind of stuck in that moment. Yeah, stuck in that moment, feeling like they didn't really get past what they were feeling before, that stuff still feels uncomfortable, unacknowledged, that they still feel lonely, that maybe they don't know anybody because they didn't really adjust to college in the first place. And it just doesn't feel like home to them yet, you know, that kind of feeling. So we're curious to hear about your experience. If you're a college student who's struggling with some of this stuff, we're curious to hear how you're doing. If, if there's something that has helped, we'd love to hear about that. Um, if you've grappled with these kind of issues in the past and you're no longer in college, but you have a word of advice, we'd love to hear that too. I'm going to open up the phone lines. We're at 314-382-8255. That's 382-TALK. You can also send us a tweet at STL on air. Now, a high-profile situation that I think got a lot of people's attention when it comes to to what kids today are dealing with was what, what happened at St. Louis University. And they did have just two suicides in one month. One of them happened in a way that I understand a lot of, of students saw that. St. Louis University publicly acknowledged what was going on. They were pretty proactive about talking about this. Was that a good thing? I think it's really important to talk about this stuff. If you pretend it didn't happen and people, quite frankly, saw it happen, you can't just push that under the rug and pretend it's not a thing. I think speaking about it out loud is what's really important and what we all really need to be doing. Just kind of going, that didn't happen or that's not what's going on or we aren't going to talk about how we're feeling as a community isn't going to change the way that the community feels close to each other. It's not going to change the way they feel mentally or those people that happen to know what happened because they're friends with that person are going to feel really isolated and not like they can talk to anybody about it. So it makes the community kind of feel all supportive of each other, even if they might not all know the person. And then they can talk about out loud what they've been struggling with, what they've been dealing with kind of collectively and together. So St. Louis University, they also had this sort of like one day mental health day. Do you think that was a good move? 
I think they were just trying to do what they could do. Yeah. I, I think it's hard. So I see administrators and faculty and staff as much as I see college students in my clinic. So I kind of hear the gamut of what it's like. And I think it's really hard to be on both sides of this issue. Like when you have something like that happen, you care really deeply for your population. You care for the school. You want to do something. You want to give them a break because that's what it feels like you should be doing. You should give them space to talk about it. But it does feel like sort of a big Band-Aid or sort of like just like here's a day and like, you know, go play with puppies and see if you get better. And I think we tend to do that as a as a nation, honestly, is like mm-hmm. kind of put these little things into effect and think that they help people. But I, I mean, I think people need like long term solutions. It's just hard in the moment when it feels like you need to just like let out some kind of stress and tension and help in some way. And that's what comes up. Yeah. And I'm like, you know, I'm Gen X. And so I kind of come at this where I don't want a day off because I'm terrified if I slow down for a minute, I'm going to have to like listen to the voice inside my head that's telling me what's not right. I want to just keep going and going. I imagine there's probably people on the flip side of this where that day where there's nothing on their calendar, that that could be terrifying in its own way. Yeah. I mean, I think I'm a person too. I'm a millennial. I work by coping. So sometimes like I do so much, so much work. And then I realize I'm really stressed out, but I didn't think about it because I was just kind of overdoing it with work. And I think we all kind of have ways of doing things to ignore things. And I think it's important to stop and address them. But when it kind of happens out of the blue or unexpected, or it wasn't necessarily your choice, it can also feel kind of put on you as someone else's solution to your problems or the collective problems. Yeah. Like you're telling me to relax. I don't want to relax. Like, this is not going to help me in this moment I'm in. It's interesting, though. I mean, you mentioned that you also counsel people who are administrators and people on the staff side of things. It sounds like they're maybe just as stressed out about this paradigm. They're worried about their students. Super worried. And I think, you know, they had their own stressors over COVID, right? So they were teaching from afar. Maybe they've never taught online before. Maybe they're also now scared about coming back and having the potential of being sick or infected in class, even though there might be vaccine mandates depending on where you work. I think that there are lots of different stressors, you know, for that those that group at home too. They might be caregiving. They might be also just like, you know, dealing with their own kids. And so they have all of these other stressors, right? And then they're also teachers. So then they come in and they have this class that they care about and they know what's been going on in the world, but they don't know how to talk about it. And they often don't have the tools to talk about it. I've heard a lot from faculty and staff that like they tend to be the first people people come to with problems or they tend to be the first people to notice, you know, people don't show up, they need postponement on their homework or their tests or something, but they don't know what to talk to them about or how to talk to them about it because they're not mental health professionals and like they might not even have ever gone to therapy or dealt with mental health themselves. So it's a lot of pressure. Yeah, I mean, that seems terrifying. Like you want to say the right thing, you want to respond in the right way, but that's not your background. Yeah, and you don't want to just be like go to therapy or like, you know, here I'm going to walk you to student counseling because of course that has its own problems just in terms of wait lists and people not being able to get in. But I also think sometimes that can feel like a solution that's not a solution to people when you're just like, go get help. This is actually, um, I'm going to go to the phone lines here. I have a caller who I think has some insight into what we're just talking about. Uh, Lynn is calling from St. Louis. Lynn, hi, you're on St. Louis on the air. Hi. Uh, Yeah, that was exactly what I was calling about. I'm on staff, uh, not in the mental health sector, at a local university. And you're right. uh, I talk to a lot of students on a day-to-day basis, and I don't have that training, but I try to point them to the student health center. But what I'm hearing uh, is that sometimes to get an appointment, not even just to see uh, a physician to get medication, but just to see a counselor could take six to eight weeks. Whoa, and, um, six to eight weeks. Feels, yeah, and it, it feels very worrying to me because I see these 
students every day. And if it takes them that long and you're really in crisis, they might not even have, you know, four weeks. Lynn, thank you for... Yeah, thank you for sharing. That is that's disturbing. Dr. Gold, is that in line with with what you hear? That's a big number. I would hear probably more on the 2 to 4 week spectrum. I mean, the whole country is probably in that 6 to 8 3 to 3 month spectrum. I think college is sort of a microcosm of the world unfortunately, and so you do see that if we're stressed and strained as a mental health care system, you're going to see that on college campuses. But college campuses have traditionally been really strained resource-wise. They've always had a big demand for need and being seen by therapists being seen by psychiatrists and not having enough people, but also not necessarily having the right models because I often think you could hire as many people as possible and probably all of those therapists should be used and would be used and you could have this infinite N. But I think there needs to be other opportunities like should we be exposing them to places like telehealth or having a bigger community kind of build resource package that you could help them get connected to in a way that's faster. So thinking about Lynn's experience, I'm sure she does not want to just refer a kid to this service where they're then looking at a six-week waiting list to get in there. Would you have any advice for what she could do in this situation she's in? Yeah, I mean, that's a really hard thing. I think you have to kind of have, I wish that they would give other uh, resources to faculty in part just how to talk to students themselves, but then also how to know what other things exist for them to refer to if they don't feel comfortable. So if the student counseling center is that overwhelmed, what else can you do? I mean, I think you named hotlines. There are lots of hotlines, crisis text lines, a great place too, which is 741-741. But also you can, you know, Psychology Today has a long list of therapists. It's like a basically a Facebook of therapists. You can always send people there. They can type in their insurance, like mm-hmm. in their insurance information. They can type in their zip code. They can find some people and they usually have to check a box if they're still accepting appointments. So that can be a good place to start if you're like, I hear the College Counseling Center is really overwhelmed. I want to give you something. Here are some crisis numbers. Here's this other place that has resources. I, I'm doing the best I can. And, you know, openly saying that you also are struggling or you also are having a hard time with this and you're really trying. Uh, Lynn, I'm curious if your campus um, has has given any suggestions like that, like here's some training or here's some alternative places you could send people since we've got this long wait. Um, What's funny is, uh, actually what's more tragic is they really haven't. Mm. Um, I think part of it is a concern, like a liability concern, and they're, they're worried, staff and faculty are worried about, you know, saying the wrong thing, so they might not say anything. And, of course, the university doesn't want us to be saying something on behalf of the university that may be wrong. I I just try to listen and and empathize as much as I can. But I think that there's a concern that's outside of the scope of practice of of most staff members on campus. Lynn, thank you so much for for sharing your experience. I'm I'm so sorry. It sounds like you're in a really tough place right now. And, Dr. Gold, you mentioned this idea that colleges are microcosms of the country. I mean, we have such mental health problems throughout this country and a lack of resources and a lack of being able to connect people to them. This is just one big example of that. Huge example. And and an example of sort of like the fault lines of COVID. COVID, which I think is like that with COVID, you've seen the stress and strain on the healthcare system that maybe you have never seen before. But if you worked in healthcare, you knew it was a problem. So I could have told you the mental health system was broken. Anyone who's interacted with the mental health system before could have told you that. But then if you are going to then exponentially like grow the population who's going to demand resources, it's going to be even worse. And so I think, yeah, I mean, it's really hard, the amount of people who need it, the amount of resources that are actually available. And college students are just obviously one population 
population. And I really feel for the teachers who are trying their best and like are getting told all sorts of advice from legal ends and from administrative ends and from just trying to be a human end. But I think, you know, ultimately you just have to talk about it if you want to talk about it, because I think you have to help the kids in front of you. That's how I would feel. I think you can't just let it go. Do what you can. Yeah. We also heard from Mary on our St. Louis on the Air Facebook page. She writes, I'd like to know what the policy is for prescribing medication for mental health and following up. Do colleges have a system to check on students? Are dorm RAs, professors and advisors trained in youth mental health first aid? Is this training available for students to help their friends and classmates? I'm sure it's different everywhere you look. But, you know, she mentioned RAs. I remember being an RA trying to deal with the fact I had a, a suicidal resident and just getting no advice from anyone. I was 19 years old at the time. I, I imagine that problem continues for RAs today. It definitely does. I think they are open and talking about it and trying more to incorporate that into training. It's definitely a part of training. Places here have like peer support networks and those have additional trainings or rape crisis lines and those have additional trainings and those are student run. But I do think RAs is a, definitely a big population where people are going first or they're also noticing what's going on first. And if they don't feel comfortable talking to those people or their friends are coming to the RA, RA instead of the faculty member because the RA is less scary or feels less punitive, mm-hmm. then I think you have to be able to have these conversations. They have to be able to feel comfortable, which is probably going to be more and more training. And in terms of the prescription question, it's really hard. I mean, that's a whole nother can and can of worms, which I deal with all the time. But I don't think anyone has strict rules of like, this is how you prescribe to college students only. Like we mm-hmm. kind of approach every person as a person because that's how we do mental health in general. But I think there's a big gap of people who get missed from the high school to college transition because their parents helped them with appointments and medications and they come and then they say, I think I'm feeling better. Like I don't need medicine anymore or I can manage this on my own. And then they miss one appointment and that turns into two appointments and then they're not on meds anymore and they still feel fine for a little while. And then they're not. And I think that's a big group that we tend to miss and and probably needs to have better targeted interventions. So, Dr. Gold, it feels like this is so important that we're talking about this today. And yet... We've talked about so many problems, and it feels like the solutions are are so complicated. And I'm glad we're raising more awareness about mental health and about the need for more people to invest in this. But what would you like people to take away from this conversation today? That's a really good point. I think we talk a lot about awareness, and we don't talk a lot about long-term solutions. I think, you know, people talk about how Gen Z is so open and talks about mental health much more than other generations, and they do, but they're still the loneliest generation. So we're missing something, and we're not getting them into care like we should. So we need to be thinking about better solutions. We need to be investing with money, long-term money in the, in mental health. And that's from all different levels. So government, school, you know, philanthropy, whatever people feel comfortable doing, but we definitely need investments and they can't just be these sort of quick one day solutions because that's not going to fix anything. So I think like understanding that mental health is just as important in physical as physical health, especially in this pandemic conversation, that it should be in every room that people are having these conversations. You can't talk about vaccines without talking about mental health. You can't talk about like having COVID without talking about mental health. You can't talk about not having a job without talking about mental health. You can't talk about college without talking about mental health, right? So we have to have mental health in the room all the time. And I think that's something people should take away from the conversation. So it sounds like it's it's important to have these conversations, even though we may feel like we haven't arrived at solutions to We need to keep having these conversations. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Well, Dr. Jesse Gold, I thank you for joining us today and and facilitating the fact that we can have this conversation. Yeah, thank you for asking me.
This episode was produced by Evie Hempel with audio engineering and podcast design by Aaron Dorr. Our executive producer is Alex Hoyer. St. Louis on the Air is a production of St. Louis Public Radio. Understanding starts here. Do you find yourself regularly listening to episodes of St. Louis on the Air? Suggest us to a friend you think might enjoy our conversations. And leave us a review and rating on Apple Podcasts on the App Store. It's the simplest way to help people discover our show. Thanks. St. Louis Public Radio is a member-supported service of the University of Missouri-St. Louis. Support comes from the Missouri Forest Products Association, providing more than 41,000 jobs in the production of wood pallets, railroad ties, white oak barrels, hardwood floors, and more. Details at choosewood.com.